Before we look to uh, today's uh, sermon message, I just wanted to make a, a couple of announcements. Do you remember we used to do that? Do you remember we used to make announcements pre-pandemic? We used to actually have a time during church service, during church service that was about announcements. And we haven't done that in like two years, but let me begin by giving just a couple of things uh, for you to remember. First of all, it's just good to see everybody here today. I know a lot of you are now back from your vacationing, back from out of the country. Some of you have come back all the way from Turkey. Some of you have come back from Romania recently. And so it's just good to have you all back again. And we know that we still have some family members in Bali and in other parts of, of, uh, of Indonesia. So we pray that God will continue to bless all and keep everybody safe. Uh, amen. It's good to have all of you here. Even with tomorrow being a holiday, you didn't go anywhere. You stayed here to come to church. So it's good to see all of you. Uh, but for one announcement I wanted to make, uh, if you saw on our WhatsApp group page just a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of days ago, I just made the announcement that we started a brand new connect group in BSB at Darius and, and Lana's house. And we had a wonderful time there. Uh, Gabriel picked up a guitar and played for us. Lana led the singing. And we all just spent time talking to each other, looking at God's word, encouraging each other. And so it was a wonderful time. And I want to say that just to announce to you, if you would like to be part of a connect group or you would like to host a connect group, maybe at your home, then please let me know. Because right now we have one connect group that meets at my home on Wednesday night. We have a Tuesday night connect group, usually at Frank's house, and they meet about once a month. And on Friday, we've got three now. We've got the Youth Connect, we've got uh, Henry and Jessica's Connect, and we also have Darius and Lana's Connect group. So we want more because we want to spread throughout the city of Samarang. So wherever you are, we want there to be a place for you to go to fellowship with believers, learn together, pray together, fellowship with each other. So if you're interested in being a part of it, something that's already happening, or you want to help us start a new group, please let me know because we want to do that. Amen? Amen. The other thing that we don't do anymore, when the announcement stopped, so did our taking up of tithes and offering. When was the last time we stopped for a moment and we had the ushers come out and collect tithes and offering? We haven't done that for like two years. The pandemic really put a lot of things, you know, uh, put, put them aside. And we are going to start that again. But for now, I just wanted to let you know that there are available in the back two envelopes, green and blue, okay, both for Alpha Omega International. And you'll notice that one of the envelopes, the green one, says offering. The blue one says tithe. Do you remember the difference between the two? We talked about it last week. Yes, young man saying, amen, pastor, I understand it. That's good. So if you have an offering or you have your tithe, how do you give it since there's no ushers to collect them? Well, you can put it in an envelope and on your way out next to Hendrick back there, that's not R2-D2, it's a white box to collect any of these envelopes that you have. So in that white box, as you leave or as you come in, if you have an offering or a tithe, Put it in, in the envelope, drop it in the box. You can also drop maybe a prayer request in that box, something that you want us to pray about. We'll certainly gather it from there. Okay, so there are two ways to give. Either giving in that white box in the back, or you can go on your phone through the app, and there's a barcode on the back door that you can just scan, and you can electronically transfer something to, to the church. But let me just say this. 
if you put something in offering or you transfer and give an offering, please make sure you let us know what kind of an offering this is because maybe you want to give toward uh, the missions that we support in India. If that's the case, make sure you mark India on your envelope. Or maybe you want to support something in Kotalama or some of the other ministries that we have going on now. Make it specific. Where do you want this to go? If you don't put anything there, it just goes into our general fund that we have for the, for the church. So if there is a specific place you want it to go, make sure you either write it on the envelope or include it as a note on your transfer when you send your offering in, okay? So we have green for offering, blue for tithe, the white box, or transfer. But maybe in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start having the taking up of tithes and offering as a part of our worship service like we used to do. All right, I'm done. So let's get into the Word of God. Let's go back into the book of Romans, chapter 4. And just to remind you, chapter 4 is all about Abraham. And Paul is making some wonderful, uh, bringing us to some wonderful truths about the life of Abraham, the life that he lived by faith. And, and we've been talking about this faith uh, for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to finish this, this topic today. Let's just go ahead and read it first. Romans chapter 4, we're going to finish the chapter now, beginning at verse 13. All right, so this is like the third part of our sermon series taken from Romans chapter 4. Okay, and if you have that, stand with me, please, if you will. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. When we come to the first time, for the first time, we see the word promise. Promise is a glorious word when it comes to God. Verse 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law or are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be made sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, Paul says, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Amen. You may be seated. 
Today's sermon is titled, Abraham's Living Faith. Now this is the third part of this chapter four. It's been all about the faith of Abraham. And if you'll remember, the, the first sermon from chapter four was Abraham's saving faith. And we looked at his saving faith, the fact that it was so simple. Abraham believed God. And we saw the fact that it was miraculous, that God justifies sinners. And also that it was a blessed faith. Why? Because Abraham's sins were forgiven and forgotten, just like God does for us. Saving faith. And then we looked at Abraham's obedient faith last week. And in that obedient faith, we looked at first the, the sign of his faith. It's what Abraham did to show that the faith was real inside of him. And what was the sign that pointed to real faith? Abraham obeyed God. Abraham would say, you know, he could have said, you want to see how I trust in God? I do what he says. Obedience. That was the sign of his faith. That's what he did. But then we also saw the seal of his faith. And that's what God did for Abraham. God sealed Abraham because of his faith, meaning Abraham belongs to me. And the Bible teaches us, of course, that we are to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. We declare our love for him when we obey him. And the Bible also teaches that God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit that he gave to us. And now today, we look at, with the text we just read, Abraham's living faith. Living faith. Because we're not just talking about a one-time thing Abraham did or a one-time confession that he did way back in Genesis, perhaps chapter 15. And because he said this thing or because he did this thing or because he prayed that way, that's it, all done, faith. No, Abraham had what we call living faith. He walked by faith all through life. From faith to faith, he lived. And as Abraham grew and matured, his faith also grew and matured. He carried faith all throughout life, believing in God, not just for salvation, that's on top of everything, but he believed in God in his daily needs as well. Always believing, always trusting, no matter what. And so we want to look at Abraham's living faith today, and let's consider together the message now that the Bible teaches us about Abraham's living faith. Ready? Let's begin with the first message of this faith. And the message is not trying, but trusting. Let me say it again. Not trying, but trusting. All right, let's look again. Verse 13. For the promise that he, Abraham, would be heir of the world, that he would inherit the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. First of all, that word promise. Again, it's a wonderful word, promise. Promise is a wonderful word when God speaks a promise because God always does what he says he's going to do. But specifically, what was the promise? that God gave to Abraham. Well, just like last week, we, we quickly looked at right around Genesis 15, Genesis 16 and 17, 
And in that portion of scripture, God gave Abraham a promise. And the promise was about a family, that God would give Abraham a family. Now, this promise, it was actually twofold. There were two meanings to this family. There was an earthly family that God was talking about. There was also a heavenly family that God was talking about. First of all, he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you will become a nation of people. He told Abraham that he and his wife, who were already pretty old, and also Sarah could never have children, she was barren, never had children, and yet God said to him, I will make you the father of many people, of many nations. God promised Abraham a literal, earthly family. And then Abraham and Sarah gave birth to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then to his 12 sons, and eventually you had the entire nation of Israel. That's the earthly family. But there's also a spiritual, heavenly family that God promised to Abraham. Do you remember last week, Paul called Abraham our father? Not by blood, but in faith. Abraham, who had simply faith in God, just like a father who takes his son by the hand and he says, watch what I do. Walk how I walk. Live how I live. In the same way, Abraham takes you by the hand and says, listen, let me teach you about faith. Trust in God. Obey God. Trust in God. Obey God. And in that way, Abraham is like a spiritual father to us all. And when you walk by faith, when God saves your life, spiritually speaking, we're sons and daughters of Abraham who demonstrated to us in Genesis how to walk by faith. So God promised an earthly family, but also a spiritual family that would spread to all the nations of the world because out of every tribe and tongue and nation and people group of the world, God is saving men and women and children including right here in Indonesia. Amen. God has kept that promise. But let me tell you something else, about, something else about that promise that's also true for us today. The promise that God gave to Abraham, how would it be accomplished? How would all of that happen? Such a wonderful promise. How would such a promise be accomplished? By God. Now, in Genesis, in the early parts, when you come to chapter 15 and 16 and 17, in that time, in, in chapter 15, God made this promise to Abraham about having a son, about having grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And so at some point, Abraham believed God, but then he said, God, can you show me something? I mean, how can I know that this is going to happen? Can you show me something that I can understand? to know for sure you can do this thing that you have said. And God gave him something to remember. God said, I will make a covenant with you. Now in Abraham's time, when men made covenants with each other, let's say I come to Ronnie and we're both going to make promises to each other. I make promises about how I'm going to help his family. He makes promises how he's going to help my family. And if we're serious about this, we go into a covenant which requires cutting sacrifice and blood. And we would take an animal and sacrifice it, cut it into pieces and lay it on the left side and to the right side and make a pathway. And in between is like a trail of blood. 
And if we are entering into this promise, we both have our obligations. Ronnie and I will pass in between the pieces of sacrifice and in that blood. And as we pass through it together, we announce our promise to each other and what we're going to do to uphold our end. And we would even also declare that if we don't do what we say, then cut us down like these animals and slaughter us if we don't do what we say. That's an important promise to make, an important covenant. So God said, okay, Abraham, I'll show you my promise and how serious and wonderful it is. Let's make a covenant. So Abraham got the animals. He sacrificed them, cut them into pieces. He spread them out, and there's the blood in between. And what do you think? Is he going to pass by them? Maybe he and God are going to pass through and give their obligations and their promise to each other? No. Do you know what God did? The moment Abraham was finished with the sacrifice, God put him in a deep sleep. In a deep sleep. You know the last time God did that in the Bible? The first time God did that? He did that to Adam. Do you remember why? Because God was about to create something beautiful and wonderful. God was about to create the most glorious creature in all the world, the woman. And what would Adam do? What was Adam, Adam's part in creating this wonderful thing? No part at all. He put him to sleep. That's it. You rest, Adam. All the work is up to me. And while Adam slept, God made something beautiful. It was all God, not Adam. All God. He did the work. So in this sacrifice, what happens? He puts Abraham to sleep. And as the sun is setting, Abraham looks and he sees something passing in those pieces. Now, a lot of people interpret all this different ways. And I'm not telling you that my interpretation is the right one, but I've got the microphone today, so I'm going to tell you my interpretation. What did Abraham see? It says that he saw a smoking oven and a burning torch. Two things walking between those pieces. What was that? What was Abraham seeing? I believe what Abraham saw was a vision of God walking in those pieces. And not just God. I believe he saw two. Not two gods. One God. But he saw the two persons of the Father and the Son walking between those pieces. Why do I think that? Because this promise, the accomplishment of this promise, wasn't about Abraham's doing. It wasn't about Abraham's trying. It was about what God was going to do. Our salvation is not about us trying. It's about trusting in what God is going to do in us. Abraham, sleep, because the Father and Son are going to make this covenant work. And so one day, as that promise would come, Jesus came and died for our sins. He alone met all the requirements of that covenant of God, and we have salvation by trusting in him. I believe that's what Abraham saw. But the point is, all that promise did not rest upon the shoulders of Abraham. If it did, it would have failed. The promise rested upon God and God alone in what he was able to do, not just for Abraham, but for us who believe in Jesus Christ.
Something else I love about this, Paul says very specifically that then this promise, it wasn't given to Abraham because of the law or following the deeds of the law. It came to Abraham because he had faith and he trusted in God. Do you remember what we did last week? For those of you that have a real Bible, we had some fun, didn't we? Those of you that have phones and iPads and all you could do was this, but we actually were able to turn some pages in the Bible. And do you remember what we did? Do you remember why we did it? We showed that Abraham was saved because he believed and he was saved before circumcision. Circumcision didn't save him. His faith saved him. How do we know that? Because we said, look at chapter 17 in Genesis. He was circumcised. But just flip the page back. And you just went back in time 14 years. Abraham already believed in God, and he was a saved man. So think of this, because I think it's very interesting that 14 years before Abraham was circumcised, before he did anything, he trusted in God, he was saved. And if that's interesting, then I'll show you something that's absolutely incredible. If I were to say, now let's look at the day the law came into the world, up on Mount Sinai, Moses going up into that thick darkness, the mountain was quaking and shaking and there was thunder and lightning and all the people were terrified and they stood as far back as they could get. And on that mountain, you don't have to turn to it, but on that mountain in Genesis chapter 20, God gave what we call the law, the Ten Commandments. And I can turn to it right now and I see it. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. But watch this. If I flip back in time, 39 pages. Yes, I counted it. If I flip back in time, 39 pages, I just went back more than 600 years. And do you know what happened more than 600 years before the Ten Commandments were ever given? Do you know what happened? Abraham was saved because he believed in God. He wasn't saved going through the law. He wasn't saved by circumcising himself. He was saved because he trusted. Amen? Because he trusted. Do you think that speaks to us today? And so, Paul says in verse 14 and 15, for if those who are of the law, those who want to live by the law, that's how we're saved. You better live by the law if those who are of the law are the ones who are heirs of this great promise, well, then faith is made void. Faith is nothing. And the promise doesn't come. The promise has no effect whatsoever. Why? Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, we either... In being saved, we can either choose to live by the law and do it as best as you can and try as hard as you can, or you can live by faith. Now, if you live by the law, you can try your best, but I guarantee you will fail very quickly. The Bible says if you want to live by the law in order to be saved, the moment you break one small detail, you've already broken the entire law. The law was never even given that we may be saved. The law was given to show us why you need to be saved, because you're sinners. If you try through the law, the only thing you will come to is the wrath and judgment of God. 
But if you live by faith and you trust in what Jesus has done for you, that's the promise. That's where the promise comes. Not through the law, but through faith. And so it's not by the law because all you'll get by trying to live by the law is wrath. Do you know, even on your best day, I mean, think about it. What was your best day of your Christian life? And, and what I mean is, what was the best day where you, you did the least amount of sin or, or you, you did the least amount of gossiping or you did the least amount of hating or the least amount of lying? I mean, what was the best day you ever had as a Christian? Think of it. God looks at that day and he says, all I see is filthy rags. In other words, your best day of trying to earn your way to please God, your best day is filthy rags in the sight of God. If you try to win your salvation by performing, you will lose. But if you trust for your salvation, you will gain it. Paul says in that verse 14 and 15, the law brings wrath. So it's not by trying, it's by trusting. And in the next verse, verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure. Oh, those are three wonderful words. Faith, grace, and sure. If you have faith, if God's given grace, then you can have certainty. You can be sure. The promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also all who are of the faith of Abraham. Whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, the point is have faith. Trust in God. And that's the way of Abraham. If we try, if we try, then what we receive is according to our works. And all that will get you is wrath and judgment. But if we trust, then what we receive is the grace of God. Something that he does and something that he gives, and he gives it freely, and it brings life forevermore. Through faith, Paul says, the promise is made sure, sure to have certainty. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to from other religions, and they can talk as wonderfully about their religion as they want, how good their God is or how good their gods are, how good they are doing their obedience and how good they are at treating others with kindness and respect. But keep on talking and you know what you'll find is missing? Certainty. Because if they're honest, they'll tell you, if I die today, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know. But through faith, God says to us, you can have certainty. You can be sure. Why? Because we're trusting in the work that God does. If God left it up to you, you have a reason to tremble and be uncertain about your future. But if we trust in what God does to save us, we have a reason to be sure. 
You know, man often thinks he can be certain about things. Man can think that he is strong enough in certain situations. I've got certainty and I have strength. Well, let's consider a time when man thought that. Jesus just died on the cross. And they took him down from the cross and a man named Joseph gave his tomb to Jesus. And they buried him in a tomb that nobody had ever been laid in. And once his body was laid inside, they rolled a stone in front of the doorway. But that wasn't enough. All the religious people went to Pontius Pilate and said, listen, we remember some things that that man said. Like, in three days, I will rise again. So let's make sure we roll that stone in front of that door and let's make sure no one can go in and no one can come out. And so Pontius Pilate said, go and make it as sure. Go make it as certain as you know how that no one is going in and no one is coming out. So when they went to the tomb, they sealed the tomb with the authority of the Roman Empire. They sealed it by the authority of the greatest man on earth, the Caesar himself. And by that seal, they were certain no one is going in, no one is coming out. And by that seal, it is all the strength of Rome. No one can move that stone. What happened three days later? Someone came out of that tomb, didn't he? And that stone was rolled away, wasn't it? And when those Roman soldiers saw what happened, they fell like they were dead on the ground. That's how powerful man is compared to God. We think we're strong. We think we can be certain. But in the eyes of God, we are weak as can be. Man's strength is never enough. And therefore, man has no certainty in himself to save himself. Can't exist. Today, if I were to ask you as a Christian, if you're a believer, if I were to ask you today, are you certain that you're saved? Or like I've asked many young people just to start off the conversation, hey, if you died today, would you go to heaven? That's a, that's a shocking question. That gets somebody thinking. And if I were to ask you that question, if you died today, would you go to heaven? If in your mind you think, I don't know. I'm not sure. First of all, I ask you, are you okay with that? Are you okay with being unsure? Because I wouldn't be. But the second thing I'll say is, if you are uncertain, then maybe, maybe it's because you're trusting too much in yourself. Maybe it's because you're trusting in your own strength as though you can do enough to earn God's favor. Maybe the weight of this promise is resting on your shoulders. God wants you to be absolutely certain that if you die today, you go to heaven. Well, how can that be? How can we be certain? I mean, man says, I'm strong enough, I'm certain, and yet they're not. How can we be certain that we have everlasting life? Well, just remember what John says in 1 John chapter 5. He says, he who has the Son, not strength, he who has the Son, meaning Jesus Christ, he who has the Son 
has eternal life. Do you hear that? The same word is used, has, to have. If you have Jesus, then you have eternal life. John goes also on to say this, I'm writing this to you that you believe in the name of the Son of God. What's his name? Jesus. And what does that name mean? That the Lord is salvation, that the Lord saves. And John says, I'm writing this to you that if you believe in the name of the Son of God, then you may know. Know. That sounds like certainty, doesn't it? If you know something, you're certain of it. That you may know what? That you have eternal life. That's how it works. Not trying, but trusting. If I have Jesus, I have everlasting life. If I believe and trust in Jesus, then I know that if I were to die today, I will be in the presence of my Lord and Savior forever. And I don't say that because I read my Bible this morning. I don't say that to you because I'm a pastor and I get to do this every Sunday. I say it because of Jesus, because my trust is in him and he has redeemed me and he has saved me, period. Are you certain? Number two, the second message, not something, but nothing. Not something, but nothing. Paul just said that Abraham was made a father to us all, and then he quotes the Old Testament, where God said that. As it is written, God saying to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him, that is God, whom he believed. God. Abraham believed God. What did Abraham believe? Let me, let's discuss this now about Abraham's belief. Let me show you first what Abraham believed. And let me show you, number two, how Abraham believed. And number three, when Abraham believed. First of all, what did Abraham believe? Well, in the next verse, believing in God who gives life to the dead. And I love this. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. I love that about God. He calls out things that don't even exist as though they actually do. This is what Abraham believed. That God makes something out of nothing. God can take what's not there and make something out of it. God can take what is dead and bring life. God can take what doesn't even exist and bring it into existence. That's what Abraham believed. He gives life to the dead and calls those things that don't exist as though they do. Life to the dead. Do you remember Lazarus, that dead man in the tomb? Dead for four days. Jesus goes to that tomb and he calls out the man's name and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? A dead man came walking out of the tomb. God gave life to the dead man. But let me ask you this. What did that dead man do to get that life in him? What did Lazarus do? He did as much as a dead man can do. 
Nothing at all. Jesus called his name, and a dead man came walking out. Do you think Lazarus went to his friends and said, hey, let me tell you what I did for myself a couple days ago. I was dead for four days, and then I got myself out of that tomb. Seriously, Lazarus? No, your name was called by the Son of God, and then you came walking out. That great work, that great miracle had nothing to do with Lazarus trying. It had everything to do with God speaking and brought life to the dead. And also creation. As it says that he calls those things that don't exist as though they did. When God said, let there be, he's speaking into nothing. Nothing. There was no light, and then God said, let there be light, and then there it was. There was no sun, moon, stars, galaxy, earth, and yet God called them forth, and there they were. There were no animals, trees, man, and yet God spoke, and there they were. God can bring life to the dead, and God can call out things that don't exist. Like David. I remember David in the Old Testament. When David was a young boy, just a shepherd boy, he wasn't even thought about in his family. He was just out there in the fields watching over the sheep. God looked at that young boy and said, there's a king. Now everybody would have said, what do you mean a king? The little shepherd boy playing his harp with the sheep? That's not a king, that's just a boy. But God called something that didn't even exist yet, King David. And he told Samuel to anoint him. One day Jesus meets Peter. Peter's name was Simon. When Jesus met him, he said, no longer Simon. I'm going to call you Cephas, or Peter, which means a rock. And maybe, maybe Peter would have said, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm no rock, believe me. I've got my ups and downs in life. I'm always moving around. I'm not steady. I'm not sure. I don't think you want to call me by that name. But Jesus said, you shall be called a rock. Why did he say that? Because he knew what he would do in Peter's life. He knew that one day, by his strength, by his working, Peter would become a magnificent rock for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because of his own doing, but because of Christ in him. He calls those things that don't even exist as though they did. And what about for Abraham? Well, the Bible tells us that Abraham, as far as his body was concerned, and having a child, he was as good as dead. There's no, ch no children coming out of this body. He was already a very old man, and on top of that, his wife can never have children. She's been dead in her womb for decades. But Abraham believed that God can bring life out of these two dead people. God made a promise to give me a son. We don't see it. We don't know how it's going to happen, but he said it. And if he said it, I believe it. That's what he believed. How did he believe? Abraham, it says, contrary to hope, in hope believed. So that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Before Sarah was ever pregnant, God said to Abraham, I have made you a father. Only God can say such things. 
And only people of faith can believe such things. How did Abraham believe? In that phrase, contrary to hope, in hope believed. What does that mean? What do you mean contrary to hope? Meaning, if you have hope in something, then it probably means that you've got something to work with. For instance, my daughter Yaya is going to be moving to America sometime soon. And right now she's hoping to find a job. Okay? Well, then that must mean there are opportunities to find a job. That must mean she has some qualifications to work for somebody. You know what I mean? So if we hope in something, it's because we're building upon something we know. But what if there are no opportunities of employment? What if nobody is hiring? What kind of hope is there? None. For Abraham, looking at himself, dead already and having children, what hope is there in Abraham? None. What hope is there in Sarah, who has been unable to have children for decades and decades? In her strength, what hope is there? None. So contrary to hope means in them, in their own strength, in themselves, there is no hope. They can't do anything about it. And yet, in hope, he believed. Why? Because he did not look upon their deadness. He didn't look upon their weakness. He looked upon God and God's strength and God's promise, God's power, God's word. And that's where Abraham's hope was. Now he has something to build upon forever and ever. That's how he believed, always hoping in God, not in himself. When did Abraham believe? When? In verse 20 and 22, it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, the question is, strengthened in faith? When did that happen? Giving glory to God? When? Being fully convinced? When did that happen? And I'll give you a hint. In the verses that just came before this, Paul is talking about all this great faith in Abraham when he was about 100 years old. That's key. Because you know what we find when we read the story in Genesis of how this all happened? God gave Abraham the promise. And Abraham was about 86 years old. God gave the promise of a son. God gave this wonderful promise when Abraham was about 86 years old. And do you know what happened? At some point, Sarah thought, wait a minute, maybe, maybe God needs us to do something here. I mean, I know he promised to give us a son, but maybe it's something we have to do. So Abraham, I've got a great idea, as wives always have great ideas. Abraham, take my maidservant, Hagar. Now, you know, I'm joking. Women are not always right. Take my wife, Hagar, have a child with her. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. And Abraham said, okay. And so Abraham got together with Hagar and had a son named Ishmael. Now, can I just show you something real quick? Real quick, I know we're running out of time, but let me just show this to you. Again, I hope you have a Bible, because it'll make better sense if you do. But if you don't, it's okay. 
But turn with me real quick to just Genesis chapter 16. So Abraham, for whatever reason, took his eyes off of God and took this promise into his own hands, got together with Hagar and had a son named Ishmael. Now look at the end of that chapter that tells that story. Chapter 16 of Genesis. The last verse of Genesis 16, verse 16, Abram, or Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. 86 years old when that little boy was born. Now look into the next chapter, the very first verse. When Abraham was 99 years old. You see what just happened? The Bible says he had a son named Ishmael at the age of 86. And the very next verse that comes is when he was 99. We just went from age 86 to 99 in one breath. And in all that time, there's no word of God coming to Abraham. There's no special thing Abraham did for the Lord. No special sign of obedience. There was no communication, no communion. Doesn't say that Abraham was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Doesn't say that Abraham fell on his face and repented and confessed his sin. There's just silence. Nothing is happening for 14 long years or 13 long years. Silence. And maybe in that silence, Abraham thought what we all think from time to time. I failed God. I disobeyed God. I did it again. Surely he's done with me. Surely he doesn't love me. Surely he will not speak to me again. Surely I have ruined this promise. I am no longer saved. I'm out of the family of God. I am done. Maybe Abraham said that during those long 13 or 14 years of silence. But look what it says in that verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Not Abraham one day went up to the mountain, slayed the sacrifice, called upon God, fasted. No, no, no. The Lord appeared to Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And then Abraham did the only thing he could do, fell on his face in the worship of God. So let's just ask these questions again. When was his strength, when was his faith strengthened? When the Lord appeared to Abraham. When did Abraham give glory to God? When Abraham fell on his face before God. When was he fully convinced that what God said he will do before Ishmael? No, no, no. After he did the sin with Hagar and had Ishmael. After that 14 long years of silence, then when God came, now Abraham is fully convinced, God, what you say, you will do. What you promise, you will perform. And God says, now that's the faith I'm looking for. That's the faith that saves. That was Abraham. That's what happened to him. This is why Abraham's faith was strengthened. It's why he gave glory to God. It's why he was now fully convinced because God came to Abraham. 
There are so many times that we feel like we have messed up so much and we are so far away from God that it's just too far. But you know what? If there are a thousand steps between you and God, do you know God will run those thousand steps to come back to you? Abraham, he messed up badly, badly. But he didn't lose that promise with God. And God so graciously, so wonderfully came to Abraham. You know, we all have Ishmael's. Every one of us have Ishmael's running around somewhere. And I don't mean real kids. Spiritual Ishmael's because we often sin. We often disobey God and then we pay horrible consequences. There are Ishmael's all over the world. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. But then one day, God appears. One day, the Lord speaks. And maybe for some of you, that day is today. God says his own words, behold, I make all things new. And maybe some of you need that today. Last, let me close with this, number three. The last message from this, not one, but all. Not one, but all. Verse 23 and 25, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that righteousness was imputed to Abraham, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. What was true for Abraham is to be true for us. This whole story, this whole example that Paul is giving in chapter 4, this isn't just about looking at Abraham and seeing what God did. He's talking about it because this is what God does for you. This is the faith that God wants in your life. This is what God wants to teach you about trusting and not trying, about making all things new, that God can take what is horrible and dead and worthless in your life and creating something brand new out of it. This is not just to talk about Abraham thousands of years ago. It's about all of us who believe in Jesus. And Abraham believed. And Paul says if we believe like that, if we trust like that in the God who sent his son to die for our sin, the God who not only sent his son, but when the son came into the world, he took upon himself our sin. And he died in our place that we may be forgiven. Jesus took upon himself all of God's wrath and judgment. Indeed, he was that sacrifice. And then he rose again. And Paul says, if you believe in that death and in that resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. You have salvation. And believing today, and I'll close with this. I think that Abraham is not only an example to us about believing for salvation. Yes, it's that, and most importantly, that's what Paul is teaching. But I also believe Abraham is an example about how to live just believing in God. Just believing in God. And I don't know about you, but I believe as a church, us, us, this church, we need to get back to believing God again. We need to believe in God in all things of life. 
Not just in salvation, that is the most important thing, but in everything, in every walk of life, believe in God, just as Abraham did. Believe in God. Are you discouraged today? Believe that God can give you hope. Believe that God can comfort you. Are you sick in body today? Believe that God can heal you. Believe that God can bring life to a hopeless situation. Believe in God. Is your marriage in trouble? Is your relationship with your children in trouble? Believe in God who can restore relationships. Even in our financial struggles, which I'm sure we've all gone through these past couple of years, even in those things, even in our job or our career, what it is we have to do to work to provide for our family, believe in God. Whatever your struggle is today, believe. Believe that God makes all things new. That, my friends, is living faith. Amen? You're too quiet. Amen? Amen. Sister Verna, would you come up? So now we've seen from Romans 4, we've seen Abraham's faith and how it's a wonderful example to us. That saving faith, that obedient faith, and that living faith. Of all the things I could ask you right now, sort of to prompt your thoughts, to prompt your spirit, to prompt your heart to respond to the Lord. Maybe I'll just ask that one question again. If you died today, where would you be? Where would you go? The Bible teaches there are two ways, and both ways are everlasting. There's everlasting heaven in the presence of the Lord, and I'll tell you this, Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. It's everything about Jesus. To be with Christ, that's heaven, and that's everlasting. Or it is everlasting judgment in fire. The Bible teaches that there's a Hades right now in the middle of the earth where the wicked who die go. And one day those wicked dead will be raised to life again only to be judged finally and sent into what's called hell or the lake of fire. If you die today, just like the rich man in the Bible, he died and then he opened his eyes and he was in hellfire. If you died today and then you opened your eyes, where would you be and what would you see?